The following material contains adult language and mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Danger, Will Robinson. The Pinball Network is online. Launching The Pinball Show. Midweek edition. Pinball is a game of skill. For some, it's a passion and a lifestyle. It's time for the Pinball Show. It's pinball with personality. Hey, everyone, and thank you for joining me again on the Pinball Show Midweek Edition. Hope you are all well. I am, of course, your host, Craig Bobby. And for the next 30 minutes or so, we will continue our chat about the topics and happenings in the world of pinball. Occasionally, we'll have a guest along for the ride, and hopefully, we'll have a little fun along the way. So if that sounds fun to you, well, what are we waiting for? Let's get started. Six, a name given to a group of six hobbyists and pinball enthusiasts from various pinball news, podcasts, and stream channels that traveled by invitation to the offices and studios of Deep Root Pinball to witness and give their opinion of Deep Root's soon-to-be first-ever pinball reveal that was nearly five years in the making. During this event that was back in September of 2020, it was realized by all attendees that in fact Deep Root wasn't nearly as far along or ready to make the reveal as they had hoped. This led to more months of delay and by extension, unfortunately, kept those Deep Six media personalities locked under a strict NDA during this time, something that was not foreseen and a very unfortunate side effect of Deep Root's persistence and baffling delays. However, now with the official launch and reveal of Deep Root's first John Papadouk's design retro-atomic zombie adventureland pinball machine, the Deep Six have now been released from the NDA shackles and are free to talk openly about what they saw during their time or didn't see during their time at Deep Root Studios. Included in the Deep Six is TPN's own Chris Chandler, who is of course the Deep Root news correspondent on the Pinball Show every week. And I was very excited to hear that he was officially released from his NDA and was thrilled that he was able and excited to come on my show and discuss with me all that he had seen back in September. And also to have a casual chat about what his deeper thoughts were on Pinball's newest manufacturer, Deep Root Pinball, was officially offering to its potential customers. I present to you Chris Chandler, unplugged on Deep Root Pinball. All right, well, let's begin here. Hey, Chris, how's it going these days? Long time no speak. Oh, it's uh, coming from COVID Central here in Texas. It is (laughs) awesome. So you guys surviving down there these days? Yeah, we're playing it pretty safe. I can't say that everybody down here is uh, playing by the same rules, but uh, yeah, you know, just trying to... Trying to keep things going, trying to maintain sanity. Yeah, it's been a been a lot of uh, cooking meals in, uh, doing stuff with the fam, playing a lot of pinball, 
you know. Yeah, yeah, same up here, same up here too, trying to play it safe, trying to do more stuff at home, you know, trying to keep things simple as much as uh, as much as you can. It's it helps having a pinball machine in your house as I've as I've discovered at least for me. I mean, my family honestly gets a little a little tired of me suggesting we have a pinball tournament every night. <laughs> Why wouldn't you want to have a pinball tournament every night? Jeez. Yeah, I got to get a bit of that uh, as well, right? You know, try to. Yeah, I get a lot of eye rolling these days saying, Dad, you know, this is your thing, right? And I'm like, geez, if I had a pinball machine in the house when I was your age, I wouldn't be going to sleep at night. That's how excited I would have been. Well, but we come from an era when like kids shows were on during that window from like three to like five when the news started, right? And, you know, if you had anything, you had an Atari or maybe a Nintendo and like that was it. Right. I mean, it's just your entertainment options were really, really limited nowadays. I mean, there's there's so much content that the kids could just sit there and shove in their eyeballs all day long. It's 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 you know, it's it's hard for pinball to be relevant. You know, we had video games, um, you know, of course, with the Atari uh, 2600 console when it first came out. And there, there's, you know, Pong before that. But there, the games these days are just so much more immersive and interactive, even the basic ones where they can, you know, get in on a, on a party chat. And there's just so much going on in these things that was never around when when we were kids, of course, that um, that can engage them for hours on end, which can be a great thing sometimes when you want to, when you need some, you know, adult time, but other times it's like, holy geez, we're creating a generation of, of zombies. <laughs> well, and what I've done is I've tried to flip it on its head. So I bought a uh, set of online courses for my older son who's in high school. And so he's been learning how to do things like skeletal animation in, in uh, Unreal Engine and stuff like that. So I figure, you know, you take that interest and, Try to turn it into something that could be a jobby job someday. Yeah. So so and there's Dennis on this last uh, on this last TPS with Zach and Dennis trying to pit us against each other. What's up with that? You know, we correspondents have to band together. Despite the shenanigans that Dennis is trying to pull, we will remain in solidarity. We have to try and rise up here against the oppressor, I think. Yeah. Although I do have to say, you know. I uh, did like me some some Dennis approval. <laughs> he was sweet on you. I was I was really shocked. I got a little jealous about that too. I was like, God damn, he hasn't talked about me that way. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> they say sun shines on a dog's ass every now and then, right? <laughs> Maybe because Zach was talking so glowing me, glowing about me in the early days. He's like, I'll show that Bobby once and for all. I'll show him. Oh, uh, that's what it is. It's it's not so much about me. <laughs> He's trying to take you down a few pegs. That's what it is. <laughs> Oh, that Dennis. We love Dennis. I, I, I actually like the new format that they're using these days in, in terms of cycling Dennis uh, in every other episode. I think that's very smart. And that, that adds, you're talking about breathing some life and, and, um, and stuff into, um, into everybody's enthusiasm and, and what, they're, what they're doing over there. I think that's very smart. Oh, yeah. When you layer on COVID and the fact that he's doing that and EGP and doing them pretty much back to back, I mean... <laughs> He's a workhorse. The guy, he is a workhorse for sure. I don't don't know how, when I look at all the stuff people are doing, let's be honest, mostly for free in this industry, I am shocked at how much time and effort people are putting in. I I feel like I'm, I'm just sort of scratching the surface in terms of my personal time and doing a podcast and stuff. And when I look around and see 
all the you know what all the streamers are doing and the amount of effort that they've put into their channels and other podcasters in terms of the amount of time and effort they're putting in i mean i am aghast actually with how how amazing and how talented all these people are in this industry and and it and it is i find it quite inspiring you know that there's so much going on at, you know of all different aspects whether it's competitors or hobbyists or people who are in just you know distribution or actually selling stuff there's so much going on in this hobby which which i i find fascinating and makes it very interesting oh yeah i mean the the level of effort and just general care about you know that that you know people could totally phone it in right i mean Rick, you're not paying for it, right? <laughs> so, you know, if you're not happy with the product, well, stuff it, right? It's, you know, it's free. But, you know, like I've got a buddy that he's actually like commissioned to have overlays for his uh, his streaming channel, right? And it's not like he's some giant streamer that gets, you know, hundreds of views, right? He just does it because he wants to put out a quality product. The amount of time and effort he puts in fussing over getting like, you know, direct video feeds, direct audio feeds and all that to make a better quality product for what ultimately nets him exactly two things, jack and shit. You know, it's just, it's, it's amazing how much, uh, you know, that, that, that folks actually care about this stuff. Yeah. And I, when I look at it, you know, obviously we're doing a podcast. It's pretty darn easy. Again, this is just sort of scratching the surface in terms of contributing or participating in an open conversation or having having a show the podcast it's pretty simple you buy a hundred dollar mic on amazon and you got a laptop or a computer you're probably already using it for for work or you've already probably got one in your home and you're kind of off to the races we're using you know licensed zencaster software that that is the light version of it so you're not paying anything for that and we're 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 paying unlicensed we're using unlicensed editing software in audacity so beyond learning how to how to use some of these programs and the time that you're you're investing in it, uh, there's not a lot of other you know dollar investments. It's really more of a time and creativity investment, you know, which is which is half the battle. But when I look at streamers in terms of all the gear they need and and there is a significant dollar investment in going to that next level of streaming video, I am very impressed at what some people have done. And there are a ton of them in uh, in TPN alone. Well, the great thing is, is that you get this wonderful reward, which is people coming out of the woodwork and completely shitting on you and doubting your your <laughs> values and calling you a shill and like all you know that, that that's the greatest reward out of all of that effort and and money spent is for people to basically just call you a fucking tool all the time. Like Kick that's, the shit out of you. That, um, yeah, I mean it's that's that's what I love is just getting kicked in the nuts on a daily basis that that's what makes it all so worthwhile it was one of the things that concerned me when i was thinking about doing this podcast was i wanted to keep it fairly low key because i was a little bit nervous of negative feedback and knock on wood I haven't run into too much of it so far, and I'm thankful for that because I'm not sure I've got the stomach for a, a lot of a lot of bullshit at the end of the day. Because everyone's lives are complicated enough, and again, we're doing this. This isn't a job. This is this is a hobby, and it's supposed to be fun. So if you're trying to fight your way through that, I can see how some people get a little pissed off with this hobby ultimately because when you're running against people that are are being particularly let's call a spade a spade, they're being assholes. At the end of the day, you know, I, I can see why some people get a little tired of it and, and need to step back, uh, you know, absolutely. So uh, again, to be to put a little bit more of a positive spin on it, I'm I'm very, very impressed with the quality of um, 
of streams and podcasts that are out there these days on on what most would consider a fairly fringe hobby. It is shocking considering how fringe it is and yet how involved everybody seems to be in in this particular hobby. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, for me and you know, all joking and nut kicking aside, I mean the the one thing that's been really that actually is rewarding about what we do is just making those connections, right? I mean, I, I so can't wait until this freaking pandemic goes away to hang out with people, right? There's so many great folks that I've met from hanging out on streams and, and doing the podcast and, you know, all that, all that fun stuff. I mean, uh, you know, folks over the poor man's uh, just, uh, there's so many great people that I've met. And, you know, to me, that's ultimately what makes it worth it. Right. I mean, uh, you know, obviously none of us are getting paid anything. You know, and I really got the sense of that in Pin Clash where, you know, it was kind of like I started to feel like partway through that that um, competitive event, I started to feel like this was kind of it was like the Super Bowl of pinball all, all of a sudden, you know, where there had been such a glut of fun, competitive pinball. And then to have this event, which was I think extremely well produced and put on. Again, we're talking about people putting in some serious time and dollars on the line. Everybody that was involved in the production of that, um, like Carl, Carl D'Angelo, especially who put it, who said he put in over a thousand hours of his own personal time. Holy shit, that's a long time. And and put wow. up put up the thousand dollar reward out of his own own money. I mean, he, so there's a guy who loves the hobby. He, he's obviously, you know, well to do enough to do that, but he cares enough and put in the time. That's the, that's the shocking part of it. And at the end of the day, produced a product that I was very impressed with. I, it was all very professional. I thought it went very smoothly considering all the different people that had to stream in this, this particular game. And they cycled back and forth between all the competitors very smoothly. I mean, there wasn't a fucking glitch hardly in the whole, whole goddamn thing. So... <sighs> I thought it was a slam dunk and felt very uh, it felt like for the first time in a long time that it was a very positive event for the most part where the pinball community at large could kind of come together and, and celebrate a little bit and have some fun, you know, which I thought was fantastic. You have to hang my head in shame. I have yet to. actually. Oh, for God's off, sake. I know. I know. Turn in. Turn in my card. I was going to say, I didn't I see you there on chat very much, but uh you know, not everybody participates in the chats, of course, but they, they held like 400, you know, 350, 400 people through six or eight hours of, uh, of live streaming, which in itself shows you how, how good I think the, the quality of the, of the stream was. I'm sure when you go back, it's still very entertaining to see it, but it was, it was kind of, for me, it was all about participating as the event you know, participating live as the event was unfolding and just kind of being a part of that where we, we haven't really had a chance to do that in, you know, call it eight months plus. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely plan on making time this weekend to, to get caught up. Don't know that I'll watch all eight hours, but um, you know, I've, I've heard enough people whose opinions I respect say how great it was. So, you know, that's uh, I, I got to atone for my pinball sins and, and check it out. 
yeah, it's worth checking out some of the competitors and some of the matches that they had, which were uh, which are very good. You know, like they said on, um, I believe it was T- like Zach and Dennis were saying on TPS this week. If I never see another Nublar run or mode in Jurassic Park, you know, it'll be too soon because I've seen plenty in this last few months as as all these competitors were winding their way up towards towards this event. So I need a serious break from that title. That that's for goddamn sure. Not to put anything, not to put down Jurassic Park at all, but when you see the same thing over and over, holy shit! It doesn't matter how good the title is, you, you've had enough of it. So I've certainly had my full of that particular title, but but extremely well produced again, and and the level of comp- competitors out there and guys, I kept looking at each one of them that was coming on to to compete beyond Raymond Davidson and um, and Escher. And a lot of them weren't even the top 100 on the on the IFPA rankings. So there, there is some serious pinball game out there for sure. And all these guys were able to come together and put on a hell of a show. I mean, it was not a given that the final was Raven Davidson and um, and Escher at the at the very end. That was not a given. Those guys had to um, had to work, and they were not were definitely not necessarily winning every single match, if I'm not mistaken. I know Ray had to come from behind uh, at least in one of his matches to to get through, and so it was not a given by by any means. So very entertaining. I I was uh, I, I was very impressed with how it all unfolded. Worth checking out if you haven't checked it out. I worth breezing through in an abbreviated form for sure. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. We thought with all of the um, the news coming out with Deep Root this week, and in fact, the ordering, the official order date for Deep Root machines was actually today. So we thought with uh, with all of that news breaking and the web- the website going live, that it would be a good chance for you and I to uh, to chat for you to come on the uh, the air again and. Uh, and talk about some of the details that are now being made public. You know, before we get into uh, talking about all that stuff, Chris, I, I just for myself personally, you know, when we're talking about Deep Root, I haven't actually been following Deep Root all that closely, believe it or not. Even though you know, you of course are on uh, on TPS doing your your Deep Root correspondence, so of course I'm hearing all that, and I'm loosely hearing about it in in the pinball news in general. But I haven't been paying you know, super close attention like I would a JJP or American Pinball or, of course, Stern. And I think I'm, I'm trying to understand just from my own personal uh, stuff why that's been. And I think for me, really, it comes down to some of the associations that I've been making over the last few years with the infamous uh, launches of companies like Highway Pinball and Dutch Pinball so I've been I've been very leery of of this company Deep Root based on some of this past history that that this hobby and this industry has had over the years from startup companies that have 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 started off in a very similar manner to the folks at Deep Root with a lot of promise, a lot of optimism, and a lot of good things you know on paper, but of course ending ultimately in in bankruptcy and ruined, and a lot of people getting burned on the money on the money side of things. So it's kept me a little bit at arm's length with everything that's been going on with this company. And I think your trip to the Deep Root factory back in the fall was another great example of sort of a failed soft launch of this company, which led to, of course, months of a lingering NDA. But having said all of that, there's a little something in my head that's starting to turn about good old Deep Root. And 
you know, this company is by no means out of the out of the woods yet, but we're starting at least to get to a point where we have a live working production model that seems to be functioning properly during that Fliptronic stream. And now we have a live deep root website with real pricing, lots of video assets on there. We've got the founder of this company and Robert Mueller and some of the designers and Steve Bowden and Quinn Johnson showcasing and showing off the, the, the different models of, uh, of Raza through their YouTube videos. So things are starting to look, dare I say it, a little more optimistic and positive all of a sudden for this company after years of, of sort of toiling and, and waffling and a lot of false starts, like I said. What, What's your feeling about all that, Chris? Are, are you starting to sort of feel the same way about about how things are going? Or, or are you a little, you know, you're probably a little closer to, to things than, than I've been over the past um, over the past year or so. What, what, what are your th- sort of general thoughts about Deep Root? Just getting ahead of themselves. Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, their heart's in the right place. And, you know, had I seen what I saw in these videos that are on the website now, back in September, I think... I think we probably would have come come away with a different assessment and a, and a different set of recommendations to them had had everything been in that state, right? So you go back and look at it, and you know the thing is nobody held them up to that September date, right? Nobody, yeah, you know, there wasn't there wasn't shows going on, there wasn't any external factor that said you know you have to make this September date, right? So I, I think again, it's just that. Robert's so enthusiastic and he's so passionate about it that, you know, he really wanted to get this thing out there. And sometimes you just have to take a step back and, and really get that outside perspective and say, are we really ready? Or I work in software development, right? And it's when you, when you build your own software product, sometimes you get so used to the thing you've built that you sort of downplay some of the rough edges and upplay some of the, some of the cool stuff that's there. And you want to share it with the world. And you're just so happy to, you know, to tell people, look at this kick-ass thing I built. And that's really kind of what I would chalk it up to is is sort of that in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, and I have a couple of thoughts about all that. One, I, I absolutely think you're right that if we had seen this six months ago or a year ago, you know, most people would agree they would be much more optimistic and enthusiastic about what was being presented here. And I'm not saying that what they're showing us is poor quality or anything like that. But I think for me personally, I think it comes down to just how many false starts this company has had publicly. And you're right. It's it's the way they've sort of progressed through this journey that they've had. You know, in some ways, we've been all privy to the ups and downs of this company behind the scenes far Far too much so, in my in my opinion. And I'm going to chalk that up to a lot of inexperience and a lot of, like you said, bravado and over-enthusiasm on the part of Robert Mueller. You know, at the end of the day, if this all turns out fine, which we're not there yet, but it's looking more and more like they're going to get off the launch pad here, it, it'll be an interesting look back on all this um, and people won't care as, nearly as much, I don't think. And by the way, don't do you, do you not think Steve Bowden and Quinn Johnson, are they not looking like the nicest guys in pinball right now. I mean, I, I'm placing a lot of trust in these guys. And I think it's it was a very smart move on the part of either Robert Mueller or, or the folks at Deep Root to put these two guys in front of the in front of the camera because, man, they seem like nice trusting guys. <laughs> Wouldn't you say? Now, did you have a chance to meet these guys when you were when you're down there? I can't remember. 
Yeah, no, I, I've spent actually uh, probably a good solid hour talking with, with Steve over rules. And, uh, you know, again, you want to talk about passion, man. I mean, you can see it in that video that's on their site. Like, that, yeah. he is just absolutely eating it up, right? I mean, he's he's been sitting on this for so long and just wanted to share it with people so bad. But no, what, what's funny is is coming out of that whole thing, because I, I, um, I, you know, I, I talked to Steven a couple of times at like different shows and whatnot, but Quinn I hadn't, hadn't met before. And I came away from that thinking like, man, Quinn, sh- Quinn should be their PR guy, right? I mean, the, the guy's the guy's whole thing is telling narratives, right? And and you know, so he he was involved with the team in T Comics, and like he, you know, he's he's got a, a an actual like real honest to god resume in building stories and setting story arcs and and all that sort of stuff. You know, he needs to be setting the story arc for this company, laying down what the vision is, what they're going to say, when they're going to say it, how they're going to say it, how it will be received. Like to me, put that put Quinn up as the PR guy. And I think a lot of this stuff changes. Even seeing Robert Mueller on on video versus just hearing him talk makes me feel better a- about him somehow because, you know, he seems like a likable enough guy on the surface, just sort of visually looking at him. Now, if we look back over the years, boy, there's been a lot of likable looking gentlemen out there for whatever, for a variety of reasons, not been successful, not been trustworthy, not done what they're say, you know, said they were going to do. But so on the surface, you know, I would say based on everything that you've been, you've been saying as well, we need to see more of Steve Bowden and Quinn Johnson and probably a little less of, of Robert Mueller. And when we do see him, it should be kind of like we saw him on their website, which is, hey, good news, here's our latest product offering. And he kind of just walks everybody through some of the, the latest features or, you know, as a, a, a bit of a guy who just cuts the ribbon. And there he is glad handing everybody and smiling and looking good, but not saying too much, you know, <laughs> not bragging too much. In some ways, I like hearing more from the designers, no matter what who the company is or whatever, and less less from the ownership. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, hand, you know, far and away, you you hear George Gomez talk, right? And everybody's always ecstatic to hear what he has to say, right? Because he knows he 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 gets the production business side, but he also is you know a dyed in the wool pinball guy, right? And and he knows you know and knows it all the way down to every screw, knows how machines are put together. So yeah, yeah, having somebody like that that can sort of bridge all those things, uh, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot of value for that, uh, that 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 sort of position within a company, right? And not having it feel like the entire voice of the company has to be one person. Exactly, exactly. I think that's, that's such a great point. So all right, well, so let's let's continue on here with our discussion about Deep Root, and and before we go any further. I don't know if it's necessary to say this at all, but I just thought, again, I think because Robert Mueller's a lawyer, again, I've got all these, you know, lawyer things spinning around my head. My, you know, my TV lawyer hat has been put on. So I'm just going to say up front that neither one of us in any way is associated with Deep Root or their owners or their employees other than reporting on them. And and like everyone else that's listening, looking at their website and... Um, and so we're not endorsing uh, or discouraging anyone from buying products from Deep Root. We're simply just giving our opinion on what we're seeing these days. And, and we encourage all of our listeners to make up their own mind, as we know they will, about what they're seeing, what they like, what they don't like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So <laughs> that's, my, <laughs> that's my disclaimer. That's my, we're going to call it the Robert Mueller disclaimer at the beginning of this, uh, of this walkthrough here. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
<laughs> so with that out of the way, let's chat a little bit more about the specifics of what we're seeing these days from Deep Root. And we'll continue to look back a little bit somewhat at your at your journey that uh, that you had with the uh, with with the other uh, members of the pinball media when you went down to the Deep Root offices um, back in the fall. Um, just again, to be sort of tying that all back to what you what you've seen, what you haven't seen. Uh, what you knew, what you didn't know, and so let's uh, let's talk about the website launch. You know what it's looking like these days. That in terms in terms of the website in general, you know, like you were saying, I, I believe on um, on TPS, this was more or less what we saw in that unfortunate data breach leak. You know, last week or the week before on on what was going on behind the scenes at DeepRoot. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, before we get there, just real quick, you should know that. By talking to me, you are now under NDA by association. Oh, Jesus. Yep. How did I fall into this trap, Chris? Uh, you, you got NDA catfished, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, so... God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so now, luckily now, we are finally not under NDA anymore. Good God, that was... Yeah, that that was uh, that was an adventure for sure. Um, we're, we're we're linked like two prisoners running running from the law here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> need a need a hacksaw to cut our cut ourselves apart <laughs> with the hounds chasing us and everything. That's right, Roscoe. This is, this, Roscoe this is like train in hot pursuit, right? Exactly. This is like the pinball version of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, just just a real quick aside on the whole NDA thing, because you know we we yeah talk we, about that a little we, bit. we collectively got our you know and, and there were there were ladies involved, but I'm going to say collectively got our balls busted. Um, <laughs> so the whole thing is, you know, anytime you're going to go see a sneak peek of something, you know, it it's pretty common for them to say, hey, you know, uh, you know, you're going to come see it on this weekend, and mm -hmm. we're going to announce that Monday following, right? So. Mm -hmm. All of us that signed it thought, okay, well, this is just going to cover us during that little window so we don't like early leak their stuff. Yeah. Right? Right. Uh, and then where it went sideways was, again, going back to they thought they were like at the finish line. And we had to provide some feedback saying, uh, really, not so much, guys. Uh, you know, here's, here's, a, here's some things that we think you probably should address before you actually, you know, really go live. So what and so what were those things at, at the top of your head, Chris? Not to go into too too much detail about some of that stuff, but what did you guys see there specifically that made you say or think these guys are not ready to go public with this yet? Well, it was just sort of a you know death by a thousand paper cuts type deal, right? So um, you know, for example, the light up sides of the cabinet. You know, this was talked about on the on the the twip uh, thing. Hi, Jeff. Um, on, on the, the Twip page that the um, little side panels were supposed to be there. Those weren't, right? And, and the, the, just, just multiple things on the machine that were not ready. And our feedback was, well, and, and, and we'll kind of talk about this a little bit when we go through all the, the uh, website stuff, but everybody talks about that the hardest thing to do in pinball is manufacturing, right? If you, mm -hmm. you have all the innovations in the world, you do all this wonderful stuff, if you can't ship the pin, you know, what, what have you got, right? So... You know, there, there was there was multiple things that went into it. You know, again, we, we got to see we got to see some of it. We just didn't get to see everything. And again, in September, had we had seen what we saw on that walkthrough with 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 uh, with Steve and, and Quinn, I think the assessment would have been entirely different. So it put us in this weird situation where we couldn't talk about these things until they launched. Well, based off our feedback, it kicked their launch out. 
and and so I don't think either side anticipated this, right? That they fully felt they were ready to go, right? I mean, they didn't, there's no reason for them to try to put us in these legal handcuffs, right? And and there's no incentive for us to go look at something and then not talk about it, right? <laughs> Everybody that went down there went down there because they're passionate about you know about pinball in general and and seeing what Deep Root had in in specific, and you know just it it just unfortunately ended up. Yeah, you know, not being a good deal for all parties. Yeah, it was almost the exact opposite. I mean, they had members of the pinball media, quote unquote, go down there so that they could talk about it once the once the the title was officially launched and promote it, it you know, it loosely or at least give their opinions about what was going on. And in fact, the exact opposite happened. There was no launch or the launch was delayed uh, significantly. So, you know, by extension, now the ND, NDA is also extended, I guess, or held over, put the the handcuffs on everybody, so to speak, in terms of their ability to talk freely about what you were or were not seeing down there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, again, it's it's one of those deals where in, in hindsight, <laughs> maybe I might play things out a little differently. But, uh, you know, again, I just... Each side thought we were, I think we all had the same shared vision that everybody's going to go down there. They're going to see all this cool stuff. And then they just got to keep their mouth shut until that Monday. And then we could talk about it. And unfortunately, we just, that just ended up not coming to pass. So I totally get why everybody's all pissed off and thinks that we're hiding crap from them and we're in cahoots with them and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, uh, let's, let's not. You know, let's not forget that, you know, like Robert's day job is being a lawyer, right? So he <laughs> had a decent NDA in place and, you know, none of us, you know, were uh, too keen to try to challenge him on that, right? Um, so, yeah, and let's let's face it, this this industry, let's just say there aren't a lot of secrets lingering around these days or, you know, there's been a history of, of a lot of stuff getting leaked. So, you know, that's understandable that, that a manufacturer is going to try and protect themselves you know, at least on paper against stuff like that happening. It's just unfortunate, like you said, that it dragged out as long as it did. And it kind of, you know, it was like a bad hangover that wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't go away (laughs) or that went away slowly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But you know, the good news is, you know, we're through that now and we can, we can plow ahead. Wow. What a, what a journey and what a journey it's been. So the website's launched and uh, and I've been going over the website. You know, it's not bad. Just like a lot of things that you see that you're, that we're seeing these days from Deep Root, if if it hadn't taken them so long to get here, I think I'd be feeling far more enthusiastic about it. However, you know, on the surface of it, it all looks pretty pretty clear and pretty pretty good. Uh, all in all, I mean, shit, they've only been working five years on it. Frankly, it should be the best pinball website <laughs> in the business. <laughs> but so it looks it looks pretty good. It looks like these guys actually know what they're doing. If you didn't know that it took them five years to actually get to this stage. Is, was there anything specifically about stuff that you're seeing on the website and is being presented here, Chris, where you're like, wow, I can't believe they they did this because it looks so horrible when we saw it, or I can't believe how much better better this looks, or were you surprised about the pricing at all? Did they talk about pricing while you guys were down there? No, they, they did share pricing, um, and this, this sort of lines up with what they shared with us, um, okay. but... Uh, yeah, I will say that I was I was a bit more confused with the uh, with the leak that happened um, because the, the pricing was kind of in line with what we talked about, but the subscription model part 
you know, like we, I explicitly asked about that and the story was different. So um, I'm glad to see that based off what's on the website now, it looks like that subscription model idea is gone. Or isn't, isn't ready for uh, launch yet. You know, these all might be ideas too, that haven't seen the light that, that aren't, weren't supposed to see the light of day because either a, they weren't, they weren't ready or B maybe they're like, to your point, maybe they're never going to be ready. You know? Well, I don't know about that. And, and you know, I'll, I'll uh, read a little bit from their website here, you know, so on their subscription model, it says, and I'm quoting here, our policy about DLC is simple. As part of the purchase price, all customers receive intended final code, code updates for one year, and bug fixes for period of ownership, which that actually, and I'm going to stop the quote there, that actually matches what we were told when we got there. So, so I'm glad to see that that, that hasn't changed, right? Because the, the whole idea was, you know, the community was sort of up in arms like, oh crap, there's this subscription model. They're going to sell me like a shareware version of a pin. Imagine you hit a scoop or something. It's like to unlock this mode, put in your credit card number or PayPal, right? I mean, um, you know, that's what that's what everybody naturally went to, and uh, you know, and I was like, no, that's not going to be the model because they they know that's dead on arrival if they do that, right? So I'm glad to see that this sort of puts that that whole thing aside. You know, we'll have to see what happens with downloadable content and, and other things like that. You know, we already got Stern sort of sit, setting the model there where they're sort of embedding DLC inside of hardware. But, um, you know, I, I mean, at this point, DLC is inevitable. It's coming. We don't like it. We're not happy about it. You know, buckle up, folks. It's it's coming whether we want it or not. A hundred percent. I'm a hundred percent. You know, again, I don't, I don't, I don't love it. What I, what I do like the possibility of, I guess, with DLC is I don't mind paying more if I'm going to get value for dollar, right? So, you know, if, if I'm going to buy a video game and then there's a subscription attached to that video game that gives me what I'm thinking is value for the extra money that I'm going to have to, you know, put down, then I'm okay to pay that. If it's going to enhance my, you know, my playability or my experience on that particular title beyond what I thought I was already getting, you know what I mean? In some ways, DLC offers the user the potential for extended life on some of these titles. That's the part of DLC that I actually like. It's that, you know, a manufacturer down the road, Stern, American Pinball, you know, JJP, could think of something to make a title even better and offer that to existing owners for, let's hope, you know, a modest quote unquote price upgrade. And that can be in the form of a topper. We know that's not so modest, right? But but it could also be in other things related to code potentially that were thought of after the fact or that potentially it could be years later. I mean, who knows? There could be a technology that hasn't even been invented yet that could enhance the playability of these modern machines down the road that people are going to have to pay for and people want to pay for because, hey, isn't it going to you know, breathe extra life or new life into a, a title that maybe you're getting bored of or that it's stale or that you've kind of seen everything about? So to me, that's where I that's what what I like about the the idea of DLC and it's a take or leave it type of thing too if if you're like now nah, I just want my machine and th and that's that then that's what you're getting but to me it's like it offers extended life and um and playability for for some of these titles again we'll 
you know, the jury's still out about how this is all going to gonna be pl- played out and what the costs are going to be associated with. So I'll leave my final judgment until then. But in theory, you know, I have I have mixed feelings, I guess. I started off by saying I didn't like it, but I kind of talked myself into, <laughs> into liking it a little bit now. And again, I think it's all going to come down to what some of this DLC content is is truly going to be all about. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, to your point, it's it's value for dollar, right? Um, you know, it looks like I might've been wrong with my prediction with the homebrew section, you know, of, of their website. I was really kind of hoping that was going to be a chance for folks to remix the rules of, uh, of a game. I think that would be pretty kick-ass, right? Imagine you could come up with your own, you know, escape from Nublar mode type of thing, right? Where, you know, it doesn't have to be a full-fleshed game, but it could be even just a mini mode, you know, uh, shoot all these shots in this particular order, or, you know, or, or do this thing within this amount of time or, you know, whatever it may be. Right. It, the, the whole idea is, you know, being able to sort of uh, mash up and remix the game because, you know, the key thing that's different is, uh, you know, like, like me, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, the game portal, you know, and, and portal had this whole concept where um, folks would contribute levels and stuff. And actually to exactly the point you made, I got a lot of extra time in that game because of that, because a user contributed levels with the pinball machines a little different, right? I mean, it's this physical thing with this code that you normally can't touch. Imagine if you could go and change those rules around and then just, even if it doesn't have to be a full flesh game, some sort of, you know, equivalent of like a wizard mode or something, um, you know, that, uh, you know, again, they have this whole drag and drop, you know, sort of low code type of development thing that you don't have to be a developer to do it. Like if you just create a flow chart, boom, you got rules, uh, you know, that actually could be pretty compelling. I think it'd be extremely exciting. You know, if a manufacturer came up with a, uh, let's just say a non-licensed or a, a home licensed, uh, pinball theme that where they weren't tied to, or didn't have to worry about people supplanting uh, potential copyright infringements or whatever. And they said, okay, here's, here's, let's just, say, let's just say TNT for, for the sake of argument. Here's TNT. It's a Scott Denisi designed pin. Scott's done a great job of giving us the basic elements of it, but we're going to open, we're going to present an open code for the, for, you know, potential buyers or the community at large. And let's see what the community can come up with in terms of enhancing the gameplay even further and coming out with different modes. We're already seeing this a little bit with people sort of going off the off the grid a little bit in doing stuff um, with TMNT. And I think they did a little bit with Stranger Things as well with their 1984 code where, where people in the community are putting in some serious time hacking into this code and offering their own code updates that adds everything from music to video elements. I mean, it's it's some pretty slick stuff out there. So there's some talented people that are not employed by the manufacturers out there. Some serious stuff could 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 certainly occur. Uh, it's already occurring, but but it'd be interesting, you know, to your point, to see if a manufacturer would purposely do that and allow the community to come up with their own code to create probably a spectacular spectacular rule set that uh, that would enhance any title and make it that much better oh yeah absolutely i mean like i you know we were talking before we kicked off the podcast about i bought a uh, pin sound board and i've been collaborating with Stephen candell on a um a custom mix for a simpsons pinball party man he laid so many freaking like simpsons quotes and different music and, and and so you know it it really in that case nothing changed with the rules 
but even just hearing different call outs and, and, uh, you know, and whatnot, it just, it just refreshes yeah. the game, you know, it makes it new, it rejuvenates it. So, um, you know, it'd be cool if, if, if they ultimately end up doing that. Um, you know, I don't know, uh, just again, in full disclosure, this is not something we talked about. Um, this is just me guessing what the hell they might be doing. You know, I, I think that would be a pretty sweet thing, you know, again, to, to yeah, fits in the whole innovation camp that, uh, you know, that what they're trying to do, right? You know, just again, to jump ahead a little bit or just talk in generalities, what, what are your thoughts about how these two machines that, that Deep Root is offering? So they're, they're offering an arcade edition, essentially, which is like, you know, the, the, the pro of a Stern or, or the standard edition of a JJP, just as an example. And then their extra edition would be like an LE or the CE of a LE of a Stern or the CE of of the JJP. Their their arcade edition comes in at fifty eight ninety nine US according to the website, and the extra edition, which is limited to three hundred piece production run at ninety four ninety nine US, you know, with some upgrades available. It looks like in that arcade edition to to sort of fancy it up a little bit more as people like it, and and maybe a little bit as well in the extra edition. So a few extra. Uh, mods that you can add in at additional prices at additional price what what's your feeling about how this thing is starting to shape up with the um the pin bar where's the pin bar <laughs> so what's your feeling about all that with the you know with the the backlit art on the cabinet the floating back glass pin bar what's your feeling about how this final product is looking and 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 sounding and feeling versus what you saw. Are you are you are you happy that it's is it looking better than you thought ultimately it would? Is it looking about the same as you thought they that it would? Well, no, they they've clearly been making some improvements based off our feedback. Um, so like the way that the pin bar was locked down before, it was it was sort of like a normal lockdown bar. So it was actually separate from the hood. So I think they were really smart to integrate the whole damn thing into one, you know, solid piece. Uh, no, I mean, just going back to, to, to the beginning of your questions, the, the whole, the whole wraparound, you know, uh, back box, you know, fish tank, whatever you want to call it, uh, which, you know, hey, we, we called it that when we saw it too, to see it in person, it's actually pretty slick. Um, I, I have to say, I mean, it, you know, technically speaking, it's, you know, really basic, right? You're just talking about, you know, some PETG or whatever the hell it is. It's, you know, sort of just bent and formed around, but it really does sort of pop. Right. Uh, it, it, it makes the back box a little more interesting, you know, and I do like I do like the form factor of the, you know, ultra wide display that they've got. Right. I mean, that's the thing is, if you look at what's on a lot of the LCDs, it, there's just so much stuff on the screen and, uh, you know, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. If I've got room on the LCD display, I'm going to like cram shit in there and <laughs> figure out what to fill that screen up with because I got the real estate. You know, they have to, they had to make smart decisions about what they show and more importantly, what they don't show on there. Um, now, when you take that and you put it in the context of the pin bar, you've got, in essence, a mirror of what's happening from a just sort of entertainment standpoint, you know, animations and things like that. But if you go look at that video they posted, um, you know, Steve goes through and shows that you can put on and off overlays, right? If I want to see my progression towards modes or, you know, how many spinner rips I've got, because maybe that adds up to something or whatever, whatever it may be, you can see those things and, and they're not, you know, they're laid out really clearly. The other thing I really liked was, um, you know, the shot log, I think is interesting from sort of a competitive standpoint. Um, I'm not generally a competitive player. I'm I'm more of a play through the modes and progression style player. So 
I see the value for me, you know, not, not, not a massive seller, but what I really liked was the, um, I forget what they call it, but the, the sort of stack of cards on the right that shows you, here's the things that are currently open to you in the rule set, right? You know, you can either spell atomic or zombie or, you know, shoot the spinner or do this or do that, but it, it like clearly lays it out for you. You know, I, I really like that idea. Um, a buddy of mine that got me into pinball um, bought a, a JJP Pirates. And that was one of the things I started relying on, you know, when I was a noob, not knowing what the hell to do and where to go, is looking down at that little compass thing and saying, okay, what's the most valuable shot for me right now? I don't understand the rule set. I don't know what I'm doing. But, you know, if you tell me shoot the bayou shot, well, hell, that's what I'm going to do, right? Because <laughs> it's, it's pointing you in that direction. And that's a way to start learning the rules. Um, and as these games get more and more complex, you know, I think you need that sort of stuff more and more. Um, so, so I was overall, I felt that the together, those things worked really, really well. If you're looking at this machine versus other boutique pinball companies, and specifically I'm thinking about Spooky at the moment, who has themselves come a long way since their first, um, America's most haunted, uh, title. So with their most recent title of Rick and Morty coming in, I believe their bloodsucker edition, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but I think it comes in around nine grand or so us am i wrong about that uh, it depends on how you do it uh that same buddy of mine got a like a fully pimped out um bloodsuckers edition i want to say it was like 95 you know and that but that was with the butter cab and yeah the whole works right so are you liking the look of this deep root machine versus a rick and morty with all it has to offer you know, you got a more recognizable license, obviously, with Rick and Morty, so you're paying a lot for that. But in terms of those features that Spooky's offering and their design with, you know, Scott Denisi, who's who's obviously a very um, reputable and, and up-and-coming designer, what do you liken about Deep Root versus Spooky in this case? Is this a fair comparison to compare what Deep Root's offering for the money versus what Spooky's offering? Well, I would say they're relatively similar in the fact that, you know, Raza really has that sort of classic Bally Williams style feel to it, right? And and what Scott's built with Rick and Morty, you know, again, is is a, on purpose, a more sort of uh, classic design. So in, in those aspects, you know, you're not talking about, you know, Avengers with wire forms all over the place and, uh, you know, <laughs> spinning discs that come up out of the ground in some way, you know, like all that stuff. You know, it's interesting because, I, I mean, I have played both. And, you know, I think they both have their, their merits, right? Um, I'm a massive Rick and Morty fan. So for me, yeah, you know, theme alone is, is, is a big deal on that pen. I actually, like when I look at this, because I'm not a huge Rick and Morty fan, so I'm just looking, so let's just tuck the theme aside a little bit, which I know you can't necessarily do, but, but just on purely art, I'm more intrigued by what I'm seeing here with Raza frankly, from an art and just sort of a set, you know, pure aesthetic side, especially on that extra edition with the, with the floating back box. So I'm more intrigued by what the sort of the overall look and feel for this Raza uh, title versus what I'm seeing from Rick and Morty, which when you get past the theme of it, 
I find the drop off is a, is a little bit steeper for me in terms of what's actually in that game. Whereas I'm more intrigued, I'm finding by the deep way what Deep Root is ultimately offering everybody, especially with that pin bar and and sort of the some of the other features. I mean, you get a topper on both of the arcade and the and the extra edition. I know Spooky threw in a topper for all their Rick and Morty buyers as well, which is great. But to me, just on pure looks alone and features, I'm more intrigued by Deep Root, I think, on the surface versus versus the Rick and Morty. Again, th- not not a huge fan of the theme, you know, in these titles. So, but I am, I think, a little more intrigued by Raza, ultimately. I don't know if it's a better game in terms of the way it shoots, but because I haven't played either, obviously. But um... Well, so there's one really key, interesting thing between the two games, and, and, it, and it comes down to rule set. With Rick and Morty, you literally have zero choice about what mode you're going to start. When you light up, when you qualify a mode and you shoot the scoop to start the mode, the whole deal is like Rick is dragging you on the adventure and you're, you're stuck with whatever the hell Rick's doing, right? So very theme appropriate, you know, very, very on brand. Yeah. So it's by design. It's that way. What's got me a little concerned with, with Raza specifically, and I don't know if this is going to be a future direction for deeper in general, but if you look at the uh, the gameplay introduction that that Steve and and uh, Quinn did, I'm a little concerned about how much time you're spending on the pin bar because you know if you look at what he at, at a super high level, the way it works is you know you collect tickets, use those tickets to buy stuff, which by the way, stuff modes are included in stuff. So you know that that has me a little concerned. I mean, if if you know if if pinball peeps in general were totally upset about having to move a multiplier for star wars like how are they going to react to having to collect tickets and then go trade those tickets in like you're at chuck e cheese or something and you know getting a mode out it's just i mean because there are some games that they they call it different because avengers is a little bit like that as well so you know you're collecting trophies to get to to basically unlock a, a separate mode called trophy mania in avengers so is it not similar to that where you're collecting a certain amount of tickets in this game and then once you get it there's, a, there's another mode for you or, or maybe there's other modes plural that you can get into once you have a certain number of tickets is that what they're going for there do you think well as i understand it and maybe i didn't absorb it right but as i understand it to do modes in general you have to collect tickets and then cash the tickets in to do a mode. Oh, I see. So, so, so in other words, tickets are your are your gateway to start modes. To modes, okay. And I think this is why you know, like one of the one of the consistent things I saw in the feedback from the Fliptronic stream was people just felt like, okay, you're shooting around, and I don't really understand what's going on or what we're doing or whatever because I don't think any of the people playing understood that game mechanic. Now, now it may be something that. You know, once you play it and you get it and you're into it, it it totally makes sense. And you know, there, there's definitely something to be said for having choice in what mode you choose, because maybe based off where you are and that you know ha- what ball you're on, what progression you've made, stacking, all that stuff. You know, I'm sure that opens up a ton of strategic options, right? I mean, if there's anything I can say from talking with Steve, he's a smart smart dude and he is all about trying to figure out how to combine and and add things together in a certain way that is not just where like you know oh when you play game x the strategy is always this he is very cognizant about the fact that he wants it to be where no matter what you're doing there's not an answer necessarily all the time right you you have your choice based off you know your skills what you're comfortable shooting 
what your objectives are to give you as the player that choice. That, that is, for my discussions with him, that is clearly very, very important to him. And, and I think that's why this mechanic exists in the game. I'm just not sure how the general pinball populace is going to receive that. That's my concern. Yeah, you wonder what what keeps going through my head is some of these innovations and what they're doing with code, while on the surface seem, you know, both amazing and it's like, yes, this is like finally a manufacturer is putting all of this technology that's out there to to use and they're coming up with all these creative ways to play this particular pinball machine. The question I keep having in my head is, is any of this going to be fun? Like, are they getting so far away from the fundamental elements of pinball at the end of the day that it actually isn't as fun as just playing a basic game of pinball? I mean, you can make that argument, I guess, about any of the modern titles because they're all kind of going in this direction with more complex code, more video assets, just more complexity and talking about DLCs and, and modes and all, all this stuff. You know, on the surface, and Steve's a pinball guy, so 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 you hope the hell the whole thing's going to be fun at the end of the day. But it, it kind of makes me wonder with all this complexity, like you were saying, you know, they're spending a lot of time on this pin bar. Is that experience using this particular new device, you know, while on the surface it looks like a bit of a game changer, are they using it in the in the best way possible? And is just that device in general a fun add-on to a pinball machine? Yeah, I think that kind of remains to be seen. Again, the the, the challenge, is, you know, goes goes back to what I said earlier about you know being a software dev, right? Whenever, whenever you create some new thing in software, like a lot of times you start inventing solutions <laughs> for the thing you've built, right? Uh, you know, I, I made this great mousetrap, and therefore every problem that I see is now shaped like that mousetrap. And and I just so long as they don't fall into that trap, I think they'll be fine. Like there was a really cool thing where. Um, after you drained and under certain conditions, there was like a, a small, super quick, like sub five second mini game that if you could, you know, shoot or something, you know, and, and, and hit the zombie or whatever it was, it all happened so fast. I barely saw that it even happened, but if you can do that, you can actually recover your ball. Yeah, which is neat. That's a neat. That's a neat element to end end of a mode, end of a end of a ball where it drains. It's like, oh, well, that was the end of that. Wouldn't it be great to be able to have that ball somehow started over again beyond having an extra ball or a shoot again feature, um, which is a simplistic way of going about that. But having sort of like you said, a mini game there where if you complete it or get so many points or whatever, boom, the ball the ball comes back and you're off to the races again. You know, on, on the same game. So with guys like Elite and and Stern, there's been a lot of topper talk in the news these days. It's kind of all the rage of of a, let's call them expensive add-ons, which are supposed to add um, interest, a little bit of uh, extended gameplay. Sometimes you get into certain modes by having them. What are you thinking about the look of the of this deep root topper? How it attaches to the top of the machine? I think that's pretty um, pretty smart design. Yeah, I mean, I'll say that it doesn't look like they're trying to price gouge on the topper stuff, right? Which, uh, you know, <laughs> I think the market has shown that that clearly could be done, right? Yeah, I, 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 I do like the simplicity, right? Just sort of drop it on and screw it in and you're done. Um, you know, and that's, those are the kind of things that I know that they're putting a lot of emphasis on, right? And, you know, I... Toppers, not toppers, whatever. I mean, ultimately what it gets down to though, the really important thing and the thing that everybody's concerned about, manufacturing. 
I don't care how many extra widgets you add, how many, you know, pin bars you got. The, the, the key ultimately is, can you make pins? Can you make them at scale? Can you make them quickly? Can you make them reliably? Can you, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, unfortunately, that's just not something we, we have the answer to yet. Did you see any production areas or places that they were earmarking for production in there, Chris? Or did they openly talk about what their production plans were, you know, on paper anyway, when you were when you were down with the rest of the guys in, in the fall? Uh, yeah. In fact, we actually, you know, the Deep Six, uh, we collectively released a statement earlier today um, on, on the topic. But long and short, yes, we saw where they would be doing manufacturing. Yes, Robert told us about the process of how they were going to manufacture. So, uh, you know, instead, and they, they say this on their website, instead of having one big giant long line that things move down like an assembly line, they kind of have this different um, process that they go through. So that's where the whole, you know, quad or octo or, you know, whatever manufacturing comes from. Is it like a cell, like a cell type manufacturing or what do they do? Yeah, yeah. So, so Robert clearly is uh, very passionate about uh, the whole lean manufacturing that Toyota and, and other companies have done. And again, just bringing this in the software world, that's become like a, a big thing in, in software world as well. But the idea was, yeah, not not having to having these sort of self-contained workstations that you could you know do all the manufacturing at, right? So you don't have to, you know, I'm not a line worker who just solders this one coil on all day and that's the only thing i do right um and if you go back and look at the some of the pictures that were shared if you look at the on the back of the play field they actually screen printed where the mechs go and they have little code numbers with it right and that that has to tie into that overall process of when i've got a a, a you know a, a play field flipped over on a rotisserie and i look at that layout you know i should have a wiring harness that's pre-made that goes in this particular place and I know where it goes. And so I think they're just trying to figure out those sort of efficiencies. But yes, to get to the question that everybody's asking and we unfortunately couldn't talk about, yeah, I mean, we saw where they would manufacture. They were not manufacturing there when we were there at that time. And that was one of our key pieces of feedback was you have to be able to show people you can ship, right? Because this is the thing that showing people that they know how to make pins and they can do it repeatedly in you know relatively recent time, reasonable time frames with 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 decently high quality if they do that i think all the bravado all the other stuff we talked about gets quickly forgotten when when you were there at the facility itself did they show you a, an empty room and said or empty part of their facility and and say this is where our manufacturing f- facility is going to be or manufacturing area did you see some of the work cells that were being assembled. Um, did you see conveyor belts? Did you see anything that would imply that there's going to be assembly here someday? Or was it just an empty room and they're like, yep, this is where it's going to be? It was somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, it wasn't an empty room, but it definitely didn't look like the final thing that you would expect pinball machines to be rolling. They had some of it. You know, there was some tables, there was some rotisseries. They had, they had some bits of it, right? But you know, you didn't see bins full of parts and you didn't see, you know, uh, you know, just, it, and that's, again, that was one of our prime pieces of feedback was you gotta have that part nailed. Um, you gotta have the parts in hand. And, and, you know, even by Robert's own admission, part of the reason that there's been the delays and the struggle that they've had is they've had trouble getting hands on parts, right? Their supply chain has been, you know, basically hamstrung by COVID. 
and, and by the way, it's not to go dunk on them, right? I mean, this, that's a hard thing to solve. And when, when companies, you know, <laughs> you know, if, if I'm a pinball supplier and I got the choice between maintaining my relationship with Stern or maintaining my relationship with some other company, well, you know where I'm going to get the love. So it's one of those weird confluences of, you know, bad timing, getting ahead of themselves, you know, this, that, like that's goes back to the death by a thousand paper cuts thing I said earlier, right? There's not any one particular thing, like had this one thing changed, oh my God, the world would be different, right? It was, it was really just a, you know, a series of events that all sort of tied together. And I agree, it's ultimately going to come down to the nuts and bolts of putting these things together in a timely way. And we know that that part of the puzzle is a, a huge one. I'm going to call it 60 to 70 percent of the of the final thing, because at the end of the day, you could have the best design, best license, best layout, best art, you know, all of that stuff, assets, whatever you want, topper. If you can't put the things together and get them to people in a timely way, you're kind of dead in the water, right? Ultimately. So I agree. They've got to have th- those ducks in order. Clearly, they th- they must think they're they're very close if they've gone live and are actually taking orders as of today. Wouldn't you love to be on the order desk of of Deep Root when those lines opened up at uh, at nine nine a.m. in the morning, <laughs> Central Time? I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to see how many calls they've been getting down there since uh, since the lines have been open and since people have been able to order this thing. What do you think the the reaction is going to be? Do you think think they're going to sell all three hundred in 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 a day or two or three or the next week here, or is three hundred a, a pipe dream? Yeah, I'm. I don't think I'm seeing that for Raza, right? I, I think you know I get the impression that they're trying to slow roll this thing as well as as well. I think they should, right? You don't want to come in. You know, a lot of people said, "Oh my God, why aren't they launching with Goonies?" It's like, no, you need to learn <laughs> all these bumps that they're going through now. Mm-hmm learn that on something that's not your home run title right there's a reason why damien is slow rolling celts right you know that there's a reason yeah he he's recognized the fact that he needs to go get a license but he's learning all the ins and outs of the industry right all the, going back to what we said earlier supply chain and all this other stuff he's going to have all that nailed so when he does come across the right theme and he's got the right thing going he could put his foot on the gas right and that's what i think at least that's what I'm hoping that they're doing here is that they are going to use this as a learning exercise. Given the, given the fact that the, you know, a lot of the driver driver behind Raza was really making the, the Zidware claimants whole. I'm kind of surprised they didn't just ship a regular pin, right? Take out the pin bar. Just, just make, make what we saw in Houston. One edition. Yeah. One edition. Here's what you get. Yeah, ship it, get it done. Limited run. Learn how to put these things together. Learn how shipping and logistics and supply chain and all that, get all that stuff done. Then go be a badass and innovate. And, you know, when you start to look at all the stuff that this company tried to launch with, in hindsight, you got to think that they bit off a little bit too much. You know, it was a bit, they, they got a little bit too ahead of themselves on all of these ideas. To me, coming into this with, John Papaduke in, in tow and trying to make whole these Zidware customers, to your point. If I'm the head of this company, I'm going, first things first, let's get these guys whole and let's get this out of the way, 
right? Let's get John's game on the production line and get this going and then go forward in the years to come with more innovation, more complexity as we get better at making these things. That would have been my approach. They obviously felt differently. And, you know, here we are five years later watching them finally go to launch. So, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But to me, I would agree with you. It's almost like They've just made this thing too complex all, all the way through. And if it was a little simpler with the emphasis on execution, to me, that m- may have been the smarter first move. Who knows? I mean, who who knows ultimately how this is all going to all the play out? Hey, if they sell 500 units in, you know, in the next few weeks, you know, they've they've hit a home run. Realistically, though, do you think they sell all 300 of these uh, of these limited edition models? I would take the under on that. I'm I'm not sure that that that's going to happen, especially at that price, right? Because if you look if you look in that in that nine grand range, like we talked about earlier, you can get a pimped out Rick and Morty, you can get a GNR, uh, you know, there, there's there's just pretty much any Stern Premium. There, there's a lot of options there, and you know, again, if if this was Goonies, you know, at nine grand, and okay, then you know maybe that pulls some dollars in. I I'm just I'm not buying that this you know, blows sales doors off. I would love to be wrong. You know, don't get me, don't get me wrong. I mean, the whole reason I'm a correspondent for Deep Root is I want them to be successful, right? I, I want this thing to keep going. I think everybody, the bravado aside, I think most people want Deep Root to be successful. The more players we have, the more options we have as, as, uh, as uh, pinball folks. And, uh, but I just, yeah, I, I don't see this being, you know, a giant sales catalyst for them. Right. I, There's no doubt they're going to get some hits on this, right? There's enough people that have enough collections that this is going to tweak, let's call it the wealthier um, pinball collector who's they've got a room full of Bally Midways of, you know, of every decade and and other games in their collection, the Stearns, the JJPs, and they're looking for something a little different. This is going to scratch that itch, in my opinion. So I think they sell, I think they sell 50 pretty easily. And then, and then once some of the, that, that first batch of 50, call it, get out into the wild and people start to talk about them like, oh, this thing's amazing and it shoots great. And they, and they show them playing it and how great it is. My feeling is they sell them all. Ultimately, they ultimately will sell all 300 with, with the asterisks, if they're living up to people's expectations, once they actually get their hands on them. Now, the problem is if they sell 50 and it takes them a year to get them, you know, people to get their that those 50 or 100 or whatever they end up selling 10. I mean, who the hell knows how many they're going to sell ultimately. But if it takes everybody a year to get their stuff, you know, I don't think they're going to get much, much, uh, much more than that. But if they sell, let's say 50 and people get them within two months, I bet all of a sudden there's more buyers there, you know, and people are happy with them then the other buyers are going to come, right? So it's going to be like those early adopters, I think, are going to pave the way for increased sales of the future. I don't know. That's just me. Those are just, fuck, they they could be all sold out already. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Well, here's going to be the problem with that, though. On their site, you only have until December 30th to order Raza. Oh, for God's sakes. They even put limits on the time. Jesus Christ, this company, what's going on over there? <laughs> Who's making these decisions? <laughs> oh, it's all about the FOMO, you know? And then if, and then if you look at the, um, you know, they even have a phased approach that they lay out on there, right? So 
you know, they specifically say they plan to ramp up their lines in a slow and controlled manner, to use their words, right? And so phase one yeah. is six weeks for the first games to reach customers, right? And then phase two is after four weeks after that, getting to 30 games a week. And then four weeks after that, getting to 40 games a week. You know, so, so you're talking... 14 weeks to get to a point where they're making 40 games a week. I think that's why it was so smart for JJP when they launched GNR to have a certain number of those games ready to roll. And Stern's done it before too, of course. But for these smaller companies, again, to have pr production models that have been pre-built and are sitting there ready to, to um, for the first buyers to come through the door, it's so crucial, I think, right? Because then those games go out into the wild and people can can talk about them and they get that added momentum right away. So they're not waiting weeks and months to get those first games out the door. That, that you know, today if someone ordered them, let's say within a week or two maximum, depending on where they are in North America, they're going to have those games in those buyers' hands and then out, you know, the feedback will start to come in. Anyway, I know that's not always possible financially for these startups to to uh, be able to foot the bill for all those parts and 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 pre-orders and stuff like that. So they've 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 been quite public about how they're going to ultimately roll these out in the different phases, like you like you've been saying, with their ultimate goal to have production of Raza finished within four months. Which I again I think is a fairly lofty goal, considering this is a company that's never put together a production run of pinball machines before. Especially if, despite their their best uh, efforts to um, <laughs> to undersell this thing, that they actually sell through what they thought they would sold. So they sell all three hundred, and then maybe sell a couple hundred of these um, arcade editions. And before they know it, they've sold five hundred. And holy shit, how are they going to get them all out in four months? Is that is that a good problem to have or not a good problem to have? Well, I just again with this particular title, I don't see that sort of traction, right? I'm going to be optimistic and say they sell all 300 of those damn things. I don't know. I just, when I'm looking at it myself and I'm seeing what you're getting for the money, yeah, you know, with the pin bar and all that stuff. If I take the arcade edition, I compare it against the Stern Pro, I think maybe you got something there, right? Yeah, but when I take the extra and then I compare it, I, that, that's, that's where Tough, right? And you know where it falls off? I'll tell you where that where I don't see the value in what they're doing beyond the features and uh, that's going on. It's it's the it's the unlicensed theme. That's what I don't like about why you're paying, you know, ninety five hundred bucks essentially for an unlicensed theme pinball machine that, albeit, is loaded, you know, with features. But at the end of the day, you're getting an unlicensed theme. So, you know, even with stuff like Elvira and some of the some of the the bigger titles that um, that Stern has, where the prices have been uh, quite high, like Batman sixty six, you can equate that extra money for the license that you're that you're essentially purchasing, right? Or that, that Stern's had to purchase the Beatles, any any of these titles where they've they've jacked up the price beyond their normal le le prices, and that's what people are ultimately paying for. Well, it's it's because everybody's waiting on food truck, man. Food truck is where it's at. That's what everybody wants. See, if I'm them, I'm saying, okay, Arcade Edition, if you have to release two, let's come in around the Stern Pro at just under 6000 and then let's offer RLE at at a premium, at a sort of a premium level price. So I'm going to come in around 7500 
right? Another fifteen hundred bucks gets you the it gets you the extra. You know, again, I'm sure they're they've weighed all this out versus you know with their bomb trying to make Z- Zidware customers whole. All this stuff I'm sure has been factored into their thought process for for their pricing. But still, it it does seem like a big leap to get you into that ninety five hundred dollar range with an unlicensed title. Uh, despite the fact that there are a lot of a lot of very unique and extra features in this uh, in this machine. Well, the key is that we lost the middle model, right? So remember that on the leak, they had the three models. They had the arcade, the XE, and extra or whatever it was called. So that's why the price jump seems so incredible is because we lost that middle model. So it's like going from a, from a pro to an LE turn world, right? Well, hopefully they sell some of these things to, uh, again, to get it off their plate and to make, I think most importantly, get, make Zidware customers whole and to actually prove to people that they can kick these things out in a reasonable time frame. And uh, I'd even say, I mean, they're saying four months on their website. I say they get through a decent production run in under six and they've done done a good thing uh, for their first uh, for their first attempt at doing this. We'll sort of see at the end of the day, won't we, about how they uh, how how they uh, ultimately roll this roll this all out and how the production side goes. Can't remember when you were down there, Chris, at the Deep Root facility. Did you actually get to meet Robert Mueller in person? Oh, yeah. In fact, a lot of the day was Robert sort of walking us through various things. In fact, a couple of the videos on the website actually uh, have some of those um, some of those sessions there, right, where he's walking us through rules or showing us the pin pod. All this, again, comes into my mind when I'm when I'm watching these videos and I'm looking at Robert and I'm trying to assess, Okay, it's a new company. This is a bit of a risky endeavor. Let's let's just say it's not a slam dunk in terms of them making these things and and going to the next stage with all these other companies that have come before them that haven't made it, let's say. For me, it all goes back to manufacturing, Mm -hmm. right? So the answer to that is if I see them kick out machines reliably, repeatably at high quality, then possibly, right? I mean, I mean, when I played Raza at Houston last year, that was actually what inspired me to actually start being a correspondent for deep root right i mean it was it was a fun game to play i didn't know what the hell i was doing i was just flapping around but you know it it was clear that they were onto something right and that was you know pre pinbar and all the other stuff right the you know that they they, they, had, they were still talking a big game at that point but we really didn't have any inside knowledge of what it is that they were built right i do think that that there's something interesting and compelling going on here um, you know, again, what, what I think, what I think needs to change a little bit though, is just sort of, you know, stick to the, to the basics to get started. Let's get, let's get this thing going. Let's, let's get manufacturing. Let's get the basic pinball experience going. Then let's worry about all the innovations and, and, and all that fun stuff. Right. That's, that's the one thing I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a touch concerned. Right. So, you know, now do I think they're going to like crash and burn and fold like a lot of these other companies? No, because he's he's done it in a in a financially smart way, right? He went out and cut other people's money through investments and uh, you know, there, there's it's basically sort of venture capital bankrolled in a way. Did he talk about that when you were there about the financial side of all this or is this just stuff that you're you've been learning about sort of over the years in looking at this company? Yeah, no, they, they didn't talk about that at all. But if you go look, go read the pin side thread, Iceman in particular has gone into great detail of where their money's come from and so on and so forth. 
uh, of course, there's lots of people on Pim's side pontificating about exactly how they're spending it and all that sort of stuff. But um, and that's a lot of speculation. Even with the research, you you never know. Ultimately, what fascinates me the most is not so much Robert Mueller, but it's guys like Steve Bowden who have been in this industry for a long time and are very well respected. You know, Steve obviously came from the competitive scene, and and I've never met Steve before. Um, I hadn't even seen a video of Steve, I don't think, prior prior to Pin Clash. And I was like, oh, that's Steve Bowden. Wow. Seems like a really nice guy, fun guy. Again, seeing him in person, talking, laughing, having fun, and then seeing him on this Deep Root launch videos they've got on their website. He, he just, again, he seems like a very nice, and I keep coming back to the word trust. God damn it. I don't know if that's a fair assessment of me to say. It, it can be a dangerous, I think, thing that you that, that you look at when you're trying to assess whether you're going to hand over your deposit money or not, or pay for the, for the thing in full. But it's, it's in some ways... You know, I'm looking at the people versus the shiny objects that they're trying to sell us, you know, and I'm trying to assess based on what these people look like, what these people, how they're talking, their mannerisms, just again, to try and try and size this whole, this whole thing up in my mind, you know, in terms of, you know, is this, is this endeavor going to, going to be successful or is it ultimately going to fail? I mean, time will tell to any of this stuff. And God knows there's been no end to business people that look again, trustworthy and like, like they'd be having tea with your grandmother on Sundays uh, and you could trust them with the world. And then ultimately hoodwink everybody. And then there's other people who look like you wouldn't trust them with five cents that uh, deliver time and time and time again. You know, the old saying, you can't judge a book by its cover, but damn it, it's I, I just find it fascinating to to look at their crew as they're as they're rolling them out and the longer time progresses here and to sort of try and get to know these folks um, again as as sort of a relatively new person to this hobby of, uh, you know, a year and a half or two years. I'm getting to know, you know, at least on the surface, some of these some of these names and these and these uh, people that are that are part of these companies. So Steve seems like a nice guy to me. I mean, oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the one thing I'll say is from from Robert on down, everybody I talked to there was clearly super, super passionate. Right? There wasn't anybody there collecting a paycheck or you know trying to trying to grift anybody or any of that kind of crap. Right? I mean, they're they're there because they 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 like pinball. Right? That that's that you know that's that's their passion. That's what they're into. And you know that it's at the end of the day, they want to make the best product. Right? I think what's led them astray is a bit of a lack of focus though, right? It just, you know, again, I'm sort of beating a dead horse here, but that's to me, that's the only hesitation I have. At the end, I think they've got the right talent. They've got the right people. They've got the right, you know, passion. All, all those elements are there. They just need to sort of bring it together, try not to solve every perceivable pinball problem that exists and just sort of focus on the core pinball experience get good at that and grow from there. Like that's, I think that's ultimately what it boils down to. Was John Papaduke a- around during that time you were there, Chris, or is he more or less out of the picture these days uh, as far as any kind of PR or involvement with the company? No, both John and uh, Barry Ausler were there. So in oh, fact, geez. Barry hung out with us quite a bit during the day. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool to see him and talk to him and, you know, seeing pinball legends in the flesh, basically. Right. Yeah, the whole fam damley was there, in other words. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> they uh, well, they had a good t- good showing for you guys. Anyway, they were trying to put their best best foot forward. I'm just fascinated by all these characters that that we that we hear so much about um, and that have so much history. What? How did John come come across to you when you were um, when you were uh, meeting him in person? Is he is he again? I've never met him. I don't even think I've seen a picture of John. So did he come across as this crazy eccentric pinball genius, or is he is he a little bit uh, introverted? Or what, what, what what's your assess- assessment? Or what was your your early thoughts about John meeting him face to face? Yeah, didn't get a whole lot of time with John. Um, I mean, we did see him, we did talk to him briefly, but uh, yeah, I didn't get a chance to really sort of like sit down and pick his brain the same way that Barry. So he was there, sort of came came in at the beginning, uh, saw him maybe once or once or twice throughout the day, but that was about it. Didn't get a chance to to really get in and uh, you know, sort of expand on on J pop. Yeah, so he didn't make a presentation about what his you know ultimate vision was for this game, and then hand it over to Robert or or to Steve or any of those guys. So he was just kind of in the background, you know, shaking a few hands and nodding his head, and then off, and off he went type of thing. Uh, sort of, yeah. I, I would say it's more sort of a, kind of what you're going to earlier, sort of the you know the genius sort of fiddling around in his office type of thing, right? As opposed to um, yeah, yeah. Any of the presentation side of stuff was all Robert. Um, with, with a little sprinkling of of Steve every now and then, but but by and large it was it was uh it was the Robert show when it came to uh, you know the uh, pitches presentations all that. So what are your general feelings, Chris? Now that we've talked about the website and and where the company's at right now, what are you seeing in this this final presentation and the launch presentation of Raza that's making you feel optimistic? And what are you seeing still that's making you feel maybe a little bit uneasy, unsure, uncomfortable? Or is there anything that you're seeing that's making you, are you feeling pretty good about what you're seeing now? Or, you're, or, or what's your thought? I'll say this, that there, the level of perseverance is, is pretty high, right? I, mean, I think they, so too. They had a Jesus. million opportunities to say, you know what? F it, it's not my money, just shudder the thing and be done with it, right? But no, they're sticking with it because, you know, I mean, I, I really do think, love them, hate them, whatever, Robert is totally bought in on this thing he's built, right? And come hell or high water, he's going to kick something out the door. Now, what remains to be seen, and this is my concern, is what are we getting in the future, right? You know, mm-hmm. if it's going to be food truck and a few other things, like I, I think the, the community's patience between Raza and Goonies is going to be challenging, right? It, it, yeah. that, that folks are going to going to want to see, you know, a licensed title very soon. That said, I do think they're smart to not just like go immediately straight into Goonies, right? You you want to have again that that learning the the bumps, experience the bumps in the road, figure all that stuff out. Well, they've 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 figured out all the trappings now. So this is, in my opinion, this is like working out the pie crust, working out the pan it's going to go into, you know, all of the all of the framework for pinball machines of the future are, have now been laid out. And now, to me, it's all about design and licensing, and and then you know, to a lesser extent, the code, of course, it's going to go into these things, which is a big, you know, let's face it, these days, that's a big, that's a big part of it, too. But they've, they've got all of the stuff there now that they can learn from and, and build. Um, and now it's just a matter of, I would hope after this is behind them, that maybe even in 2021, we see an, another announcement here um, by the summer, if things are going well. And I if I'm them, I play my 
my trump card next, which is if they got what they think is a big license up their sleeve over there, is it Goonies? Is it, well, you know, it's not Harry Potter, but if it's something like that with the rumor being Goonies, if I got Goonies and I know how to build a pinball machine, I'm playing that one next because to go, in my opinion, with another unlicensed theme and make that two in a row, ooh, I think you're in a big uphill battle on the sales side. Am I crazy there in that in that thought? I think it all depends on how quickly the Raza cycle closes. It, it, you know, if, if we go another week and it's like crickets, <laughs> and nobody's nobody's ordering any more Razas, then you know, I, I do think that you have to take that second shot with another, you know, with another, just prove that you can build a different thing in that repeatable way, you know, and then yes, I think you, I think at that point you gotta you gotta go hard, otherwise. You can't just continue to string on multiple unlicensed titles to eventually get to Goonies, right? I got to think, too, that some of those titles that we saw that I know they were kind of openly sharing, to me, that almost feels like they were feeling out the, the I'm looking for, for community feedback on some of that stuff. I just because stuff like food truck, like, fuck, how could they, how could anybody ever in their right mind think that that was a title that had any hope and shit of, of selling more than one unit, like honest to God. Well, I don't. Over Overcooked is a really popular game, though, and it, it essentially sounds like Overcooked, the pinball game. See, that type of shit really worries me. If I'm if I'm talking about if I'm asking myself the same question I just asked you about what makes me uncomfortable, it's seeing behind the curtain a little bit too much here, and seeing some of the ideas that probably never should have you know seen the light of day. Where anybody in their right mind, and I'm looking directly at guys like Steve Bowden, who've been in the business for a long time, it kind of makes me wonder. It's like, what the hell is going on in? And I, again, I I have no clue how how the hell things are being run over there. But <sighs> fucking food truck, I can't I can't can't get that out of my head. You know. <laughs> and then I see Goonies. How can the same company that's got Goonies be even considering a fucking title like Food Truck? For God's sakes, if I'm if I got Goonies. And I don't know if they do have Goonies, but let's say I got Goonies, which we know people have been screaming to high heaven for. If I got that in my back pocket, I'm going long on that title. Like I'm I'm going this is poker. I'm putting all my chips in on this because this this is is the is the type of a license that can really set you up for the next I'm saying the next five years if it's a if it's a home run. Right. So, yeah. I don't yeah, you, know. You and maybe that was always Yeah, the you can't wait five years from now to do that, right? It, 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 Holy it, shit, it has to be not. it has to be within the next year or so. That said, I don't think it has to be this January or February though. <laughs> that's that's my that's my that's no. my key is is they need no. to get, you know, to, to the point to where they can kick stuff out reliably and prove to the community that they can do that because that has been the failing of every other pinball startup. Prove that they can do it. It's about action now. I mean, action is launching the website. Action is getting a production working title on a stream. They've, so they're checking these boxes now, finally. And action is going to be taking orders and then producing these things, right? And that's going to say a ton about the the probability that this company is going to exist in the next five years, you know? And then if they can get through those hurdles, you know, whether it's 50, 100, whatever, 500, and, and get clear of those and then move in short order. And I would say, if I'm them, even somewhere along the line, I am 
thinking about, you know, if we're on number, the order banks have closed, let's say after 30 days or whatever they're saying, end of December, they're closing the order banks on Raza. So really, as I'm partway through production here, there's no harm in, in, in hurting sales by launching or announcing another title. If I'm three quarters of the way through production on this thing and I'm seeing the the finish line, I'm announcing Goonies or whatever the hell they got. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of those deals where you need to be on a little bit of an uptick and then let that just sort of take the trajectory off into the stars, right? They need to keep building on this positive, on this these positive events. You know, the stream being one of them, because I thought the Fliptronic, I think everyone gave them a lot of leeway. It was kind of spur of the moment. Fliptronic was how great was Fliptronic getting that uh, getting permission to do that so people are giving them some leeway now because I, I don't think anyone knows what's coming next for these guys so anything positive I think is is a good thing for this company and they just need to keep keep building it's like pushing that ball down the down the line and getting more first downs you know what I mean again to get them ultimately to their second title uh, and get this Raza across the finish line once and for all. Oh, it's going to be an interesting, Absolutely. interesting 2021. I, I'm, I'm feeling optimistic. You know, I've said I've, I've asked some sort of burning questions here, or some more which may come across negative. But ultimately, I'm actually quite optimistic that they are going to sell all 300 of these things. I mean, again, if this title was launched three years ago, two years ago, even one year ago, with what they're with what they're presenting, I I think they got a hit on their hands, even though it's an unlicensed theme based on everything that they're showing here. But you know, the industry has evolved somewhat in in that period of time where they've been floundering. And so everyone's up their game in the meantime. And so there are very few people that have endless, endless pockets for this type of uh, for these type of, of machines and for these type of items. So, you know, they have to be careful with every step they make here. But I'm, I'm feeling pretty positive about their ability to get through this, and, you know, in a reasonable time frame. And, um, and after having sold a reasonable number, I'm going to go out on a limb because I'm feeling so optimistic here midweek. I say they sell 250 of the extra edition. That's my optimistic midweek view of all that. And they sell 100 of the arcade. Let's call it 350. Am I smoking something here over... It is Canada, so I. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, you Canucks, man, you got you got legal weed up there, so you know, I'm 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 not judging, you know. Geez, we're on an optimistic bunch up here, or at least I'm feeling optimistic. I don't know. I don't want to speak for the rest of the country. <laughs> like, like free basin maple syrup up there, or what? <laughs> You'd think so sometimes, Jesus. Well, this has been fun talking about him, Chris. I mean, again, I haven't, like I was saying at the beginning of uh, of the of the episode, I haven't been spending too too much brain power looking at these guys or thinking about them because I'm again, I I kind of mentally am, am waiting for them to get to this point before I actually consider them a viable option for folks. But here we are; they've launched the website. It looks half decent. There's some great video assets there, and everyone's front and center trying to trying to move these things. Finally, I I can sit here and say I think. It's looking like they're on the other side of this uh, of this manufacturing mountain. And the final leg and the final piece here is at hand, which is let's put some of these fucking things together finally. Exactly. But yep, yep. That's, I mean, you know, proofs of the pudding, whatever, you know. But uh, yeah, the idea is all of this doesn't matter if you can't ship a pin. So ship a pin, ship it well, ship it with high quality. And the rest ultimately doesn't matter. It, it, it or not, not doesn't matter, but it, the rest will ultimately take care of itself. Or they go bankrupt in the next year. 
How dare you, sir? <laughs> the inner child in me is dead, Chris. <laughs> <It's> dead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a cynical. I'm a cynical pinball hobbyist now. Dennis has re- read me all wrong. <laughs> yep. Pin Pinside has Pinside has turned you into one of us. One of us. One of us. <laughs> Well, this has been great, Chris. I really appreciate you coming on the show with me uh, this evening and having having a chat about this. And I'm and I'm happy for you because I think, you know, although I'm I'm sure it's been a, a somewhat of a of a trying time in terms of trying to keep things under wrap and live by that M- NDA. I think when you look back in years to come on the experience, is is pretty cool at the end of the day. And you're gonna have something that you can that not not a lot of folks um, had the opportunity to do which was to go down and be front and center to this uh, to this young upstart company that uh, so many people were, were looking at and had high hopes for. Man, that's that's an experience in itself to and to meet guys like Steve Bowden and John Papaduke and all the folks that um, were involved in this company. That is uh, that's something you're going to remember for a long time, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we've, we've talked about, you know, Steve and, and, and Quinn a bunch. I mean, but there's other folks behind the scenes like Craig and Sean on the engineering side that, again, have that same passion. And that, that those I actually spent a lot of time in Houston talking to those guys. And it's, it's great to see them what they've been working on finally come to fruition. Right. As you would say, we shall wait and see what's going to happen with uh, what happens in the future here. But, uh, you know, it. It, it is definitely, I, I consider it a bit of a treat to be in on, you know, the, the early days of what potentially could be something interesting, right? We'll just, we'll have to see how it all plays out. Yeah, I think it's very cool. Very, very cool. And I'm, uh, you know, again, when it all happened, I was, I was very envious of, of you guys going down there. Um, you know, my mouth was watering like, oh, shit, I wonder what they're going to see. And is it going to be cool? I felt less so, you know, the longer the thing dragged out, because I was like, oh, you know, Chris must be you know, getting a little tired of not being able to say stuff and he's seeing stuff. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, time time goes by pretty fast. And here we are. You're free of this thing now. And uh, and they're off to the races. So so it's all good at the end of the day. You know, yeah, it's sort of like making parole and getting your ankle bracelet taken off, you know. <laughs> yeah. And the warden's waving at you as you're getting picked up by your uh it feels like Ant-Man, right? I'm just in there playing the drums and stuff and they come and take the take the take the ankle bracelet off. Oh, that's good. Keep in touch. We'll uh, I'm sure we'll be hearing from you in, in weeks to come here. Looking forward to your uh, your correspondent updates uh, every week on the pinball show. You got some stuff to talk about now, man. This is awesome, awesome stuff. Absolutely. Yep. Well, that's great. Well, we look forward to it and again, really appreciate you coming on and having a chat. Hey, anytime. Well, what a great show. Boy, we really got into it there, didn't we? Jeez, an hour and a half later. Well, always good talking to Chris Chandler, the Deep Root correspondent for the Pinball Show. We thank him again for coming on the Midweek Edition. And we thank you all for listening this week and for coming along for the ride and for the interesting conversation that Chris and I had. We hope you enjoyed it as much as he and I did sharing it with you. That's all for this week. For the Pinball Show Midweek Edition, I'm your host, Craig Bobby. Catch you on the flip side.